1: pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church But the bottom line is is that the word of God said don't touch it. And the problem for Adam and for Eve was then and for many people today and when I say this everyone I'm not being irreverent. I'm not being flippant. Is that maybe you want to be a nice guy. But God isn't a nice guy. No. He's not nice. He's holy. I can
0: see the promised land. Though there's pain within the plan, there is victory in
1: the end. Your love is my battle cry. The answer for all my life.
0: Every dragon will fall, the mountains will move. Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, we are continuing with Pastor Keith's series entitled Church Matters. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: Women have it rough. We've talked about this before. They do, since the fall in the Garden of Eden. Women have had it rough. How rough? Well, again, while we've covered this ground before, I wanted to cover it again in in connection and in concert with this sermon series. How rough have they had it? Well, from the beginning of time, People have blamed them for things. People have mistreated them. The first case of mistreatment, Genesis 3.12. What does Adam say when God says, what is this you have done? He says, the woman you gave to be with me. It's all her fault. And in the process too, of course, he blames God as well. So I guess God and Eve were co-victims of the first case of blame shifting in all of history. Speaking of history, Ancient history is full of examples of the mistreatment of the abuse of women. The Greco-Roman world was not kind to women. I shared this with you uh, some time ago when we did the series on family and marriage. This letter from Hilarion to Alice, his sister. And you have this nice letter, and I'll read it for you. Heartiest greetings. And to my dear Beros and Apollarion. Know that we are still, even now, in Alexandria. Do not worry if when all others return, I remain in Alexandria. I beg and beseech you to take care of the little child, and as soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. This really nice letter. If, good luck to you, you bear offspring, if it is a male, let it live. If it is a female, expose it. I'm just going to stop right here. Did you get that? Here's this nice letter from this nice guy. Sounds like a nice guy. And he says, he's writing to his sister and he goes, You know what? If you have a child and it's a boy, congratulations to you, keep it. If not, expose it. That means throw it out. And the Romans did. In fact, In Greco-Roman culture, and particularly after the birth of the church, but even before with some of the Jewish families in that day, they would go around in Rome and they would find these children, these little girls, or sometimes children with birth defects, left out to die from exposure, and they would adopt them. And in this case, the sole reason for exposing this child to the elements, letting this child die of exposure or wild dogs or animals eating it, is because it's a little girl. Women... Women have had it rough. And you know, Roman culture wasn't alone in its mistreatment of women. You have Muslim culture, 7th century AD. Even, even today, Muslim culture is the same way. Uh, this is from the Quran, uh, Surah 2, uh, verse 282. I want you to listen to this. And call to witness, it's talking about a legal proceeding. And call to witness from among your men, two witnesses, And if two men be not found, then a man and two women. Let me explain to you what's going on here. In that culture, then and now, women weren't as valuable as men. They weren't as credible. They were treated as less than than being equal in essence and nature to a man. And so where you could have two men to uh, bring about a, a trial and bear witness, if you didn't have two men, you would have to have two women to make up one man's credibility and testimony, plus another man. Women have had it rough and they continue to have it rough. Even our progressive culture, with its laws of unintended consequences, allows for sex selection in abortion. Conservatively, this has resulted in the deaths of over 200 million little girls in India. And China alone, and then speaking of our enlightened progressive age, there are the powerful and the popular: the Jeffrey Epsteins, the Prince Andrews, the Bill Clintons, the Harvey Weinsteins, the Bill Cosbys, men who were popular with the culture because they gave and supported the right causes, and they sexually abused women. Serial abusers who got away with it. People enabled them to get away with it until it became so painfully obvious that somebody had to do something and circumstance and situation forced a day of reckoning. And as bad as that is, there are women themselves who betray women. Cultural icons who, in the name of empowerment, objectify other women and themselves sexually. Sexually ranging from Miley Cyrus to Madonna to Lady Gaga, supposedly role models of what an empowered woman looks like and behaves like, but really just the opposite. And then there are the garden variety heads like me, who are, who are not as godly as they should be, who are not as good husbands and fathers as they should be who are still works in progress. Women have it rough all around, all around. But the roughest, probably the worst statement I can think of that's been made to a woman in history, whether it's ancient history or modern history, was aimed not only at the first woman, but many women who have followed. And that is found in Genesis 3.1, when Satan whispered in Eve's ear, did God actually say? Did God really say? Is this the word of God? Did this, or as it says in the King James, hath God said? First the devil used it, then Adam really used it by way of demonstration when he, when he gave in to his wife's needs, and allowed her, he was standing right there with her, to partake of the forbidden fruit. And some men have been duplicating that mistake ever since. You see, the problem for Adam and Eve is when you ignore the word of God, there are consequences. And Adam may have been played the nice guy. Oh, you go ahead. You want this fruit. It looks like it's good to make people wise. It looks like it's good for food. You know, who am I to tell you you shouldn't eat it? But the bottom line is, is that the word of God said, don't touch it. And the problem for Adam and for Eve was then, and for many people today, and when I say this, everyone, I'm not being irreverent. I'm not being flippant. Is that maybe you want to be a nice guy, but God isn't a nice guy. No, he's not nice. He's holy. And don't get me wrong. God is patient. God is kind. God is not irritable or resentful. God does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. In his grace, he endures all things, he hopes all things, but, but God is holy, and God is loving, and because God is loving, he punishes sin. Sin has consequences, and as Adam and Eve found out, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. You see, God offered them everything, but they wanted everything plus, plus. Satan played sort of a role like the culture plays today or the permissive parent or maybe the nice guy and Adam did too. I can hear it now. Well, God wants you to be happy. We need to have everything we deserve that we're entitled to that that's, that's coming to us but that's not what God's word says and that's why last week I warned about beware the half-empty glass because Adam and Eve, God offered Adam and Eve his very best. Their cup runneth over, so to speak. He said, all of this is yours. This over here is mine. But everything else is yours. It's yours. Take care of it. Cultivate it. Enjoy it. And what did they do? They reached past all that. They saw the glass as half-empty. They felt like, God was holding back. Satan told him he was. And they reached even beyond the, 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 the tree of life, and they reached out for that which was forbidden them, that was restricted from them, because they felt that's what they wanted. They felt that's what they needed. And as Romans 5:12 tells us, sin and death entered the world because of that. Adam was the first nice guy, the first enabler. And today's culture, as we know, is a culture of enablement, posing as a culture of empowerment. And it's filled with nice people with bad ideas, ideas that have consequences, ideas that have costs, ideas that do harm. I'll give you another example. There was a religious conference earlier this year, and it was well-intended, and it did a lot of good. And in some ways, it did a little bit of bad, or maybe a lot of bad, too. Part of the conference, they talked about the rich roles that women have played within the church throughout history. Uh, even today, in the 21st century, and they talked about vital ministries where women ministered to other women, where mi- women ministered to children, and things like that, and how important that all was. But then the comment that was made that to the effect that while all of this was well and good, that there are many women who, I quote, Who feel their gifts are not well used and they often struggle to find their place. And from there was the thought that, therefore, let's not deny them their place. The thrust was something to the effect that women should be permitted to teach men. Women and men, their circumstances and roles were pretty much interchangeable, so long as they did not become an elder or a senior pastor. And that even if there were some churches that allowed that, who were we to judge? And I get it, this is an emotional issue, it's a hard issue, that's true. But it's also a biblical issue. And we are not allowed to allow more than God allows. We remember that feelings can deceive us, they often change like the weather, but God's word abides forever. And what does the word of God say about a matter like that, about a woman teaching men? In a, in a, or a woman teaching a mixed group of people, what does it say about this? Well, our passage today continues to be 1 Timothy two eight through fifteen, and in that passage we read this: I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that men should adorn that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self control Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. You know, when you read that passage, like we talked about last week, you go, whoa! Could anything be more out of step with today's culture? Could anything be more out of place in today's world? And a lot of people will tell you that, you know what? The Word of God, the Apostle Paul Maybe even God is on the wrong side of history. But I suspect the opposite is true, that history is on the wrong side of God. And so we return to our series within the series. Remember the largest series is Church Matters. We're in the pastoral epistles talking about the church and how the church is ordered and should operate. And within that, we've been dealing with uh, corporate worship, public worship, and this sub-series, this mini-series is called Church Unlike the World, we're in now part four of that mini series about corporate worship, making a countercultural statement, and our passage is 1 Timothy 2 8 through 15. And so last week we looked at this passage and we began to take three steps to wrap our minds around it about what it meant, what it said, what it didn't mean, so that we could apply it biblically, so that we could apply it judiciously, sanely, in a way that pleases God and blesses others. And so what we talked about first last week is what the word here, what the words aren't saying, weren't saying, because there are so many misconceptions about what's going on in this passage. And what we see and what we saw clearly is they weren't saying, Paul wasn't saying, God isn't saying, Old Testament to New, that women are somehow inferior to men or that there's something less than men. And we talked about key passages like Genesis 1 or Genesis 5, 1 and 2 that says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Or Galatians 3, 28, which in a lengthy passage, in verse 20, it comes to verse 28 and says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither free nor slave, there is no male and no female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And the point being that you're not saved by being a Jew. You're not saved by law-keeping. You're saved by faith in Christ. And in that saving faith, it doesn't matter who you are. You're equally precious in God's sight for salvation. And then we looked at Proverbs 31, 31 15, And we saw that women are portrayed in the Bible as capable entrepreneurs, Speaking of the Proverbs 31 woman, it says she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She's a capable entrepreneur, a a business operator, a business person. And so we saw that there's nothing in the Bible about the inferiority of women. And that this passage in 1 Timothy isn't talking about women being inferior to men. Another misconception is, and this is often come, goes back to the glass being half full, is if women can't teach men, then you've just closed off all ministry and all teaching to women, and that's just not true. The Bible doesn't teach that. The pastoral epistles don't teach that. And in Titus two two through five, we read this: Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Verse three. Older women likewise are to be, likewise, like, just like the men, are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And it talks about training the younger women. And then it ends with this statement, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, that the word of God may not be reviled. Women are involved in ministry. Women are involved in teaching. God does set some parameters, some restrictions. That's what we've been studying. But we understand that no one can say that women aren't to be involved in ministry or teaching. The Bible, the pastoral epistles just doesn't teach that. We looked at 1 Timothy uh, 5, 9 through 12. And we saw that one of the requirements for any woman, a, a widow receiving benevolence, the first question that's going to be asked is, among the first questions is, did she minister in the church? Was she involved in the church? Did she do ministry? So, you know, we really don't want to have any of that. I, I call them red herrings. They're distractions where people are, are reacting emotionally to the Word of God and, and making these big, broad brush statements that just aren't based in fact. From Old Testament to New, we see the value of women, we see that they have teaching roles inside and outside the church. Proverbs 1, 8, and 9 is the warning not to ignore your mother's teaching. That warning is repeated in Proverbs 6. So let's not have any of that. Let's not, let's be honest about the Bible and what Paul teaches or what the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit teaches through the pen of Paul. And so we understood what the text wasn't saying, wasn't implying, and then we turned our attention to what the passage is saying, what the passage is saying. And we zeroed in on the controversial part. Verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. I can hear it now. Did God actually say? Has God actually said such a thing? Why would God say such a thing? There can be no good reason for this. We talked about all this last week. There is a reason for this, and often people stop at verse 12 and conveniently ignore verses 13 and 14 all the way through the middle of 1 Timothy 3. But in verse 13, we read there's a reason for this, a good reason for this, in God's economy. God has a structure. He has an order. He is a God of order, not a God of confusion. And it says here in verse 13, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. And we talked about this. This is the primacy of the firstborn. This is the protogenitor. God has created certain roles and throughout history and throughout culture, the firstborn has had a larger responsibility and a larger role than all who came afterwards. And so God had a plan and a purpose. And as we know, God says of himself, I, the Lord, do not change. That Adam was created first, then Eve, took place before the fall. He created Adam and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a meet like him, fit for him. And he, and he gave Adam someone to complete him. But Adam was the firstborn, just like Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Then there is a second reason given in the text, verse 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. God held Adam responsible. Adam knew that what he did was wrong. Eve believed a lie. Adam knew better, and he failed to teach, and he failed to lead, and they trusted in their experience over scripture, and through that, sin and death entered the world. See, the problem is they saw God's will, God's word, is denying them something that they felt entitled to. And they said, along with Satan, they said it in their hearts, he said it out loud, did God actually say? And is this fruit really that harmful? It's appealing to the eye, it looks good for food to make one wise. What's the harm? And the problem is, is that they saw the glass is half empty their cup was running over with blessings from god and they cho- chose to see it half empty and today you and i we everybody in the church women men everybody need to beware the empty glass the half empty glass and here adam played the nice guy and eve got everything that she thought she felt that she needed and see that felt thing like women who feel like their gifts aren't being used that's a heart problem and we, as a result, inherited a broken, violent, and sinful world. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because of all sinned." So much for nice guys. So much for nice guys. You see, one of the things we're learning about in the study of the pastoral epistles is there's a right way to worship God, a right way to serve God. There's a right way to do church, and that's God's way. And it is, and it reveals what's going on inside of us, right? We talked about public worship is about internals, not externals. It's not about poses or postures. It's not about ostentatious dress. It's about a heart committed to God. It's based, that kind of worship is based on a desire to bear witness to God, to bear witness rather than to enjoy the excesses of the world. Remember, they were near the temple of Artemis Diana where the show was there, but our our worship is not about the show it's about the grow it's about obedience rather than preference it's about ministry by the book and that's why we came to that passage in first Timothy three fourteen and 15 which kind of ties all this up I am writing these things to you hoping to come to you before long but in case I am delayed I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God which is the church of the living God the pillar and, and support of the truth So we took these first two steps last week to understand what this passage, this controversial passage was saying. We want to know what it wasn't saying. We want to know what it was saying. And today, hopefully, we'll finish up with step three, what the passage means.
0: And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then...